Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. KMOX is at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Now, here's your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. Yes, folks. Good gardening to you and welcome. And thanks to Megan for passing the baton. She did a great job and hopefully I can do Almost as good. I'll never be as professional as she is. But uh, we'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly. If you have any questions, concerns, or comments, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Wow, the rain yesterday was so wild. At least in you know our part of South St. Louis, it would pour for like five or six or eight, ten minutes then it would stop, and then it would be no rain for a while. Then it would pour again. It was like turning off and on a shower. It was really kind of incredible. But every Saturday morning, we get together to discuss your yard, your landscape, your garden, your houseplants. What's the difference between potting mix and potting soil? How to improve your soil? When should you do the pruning? What are those bugs and diseases? What are those lumps on my oak tree? Planting removals and making the best choices? Well, my words are strictly to open opportunities. After that, it's going to take mental and physical work on your part in this great marathon. This is your show, by the way, and I appreciate you being here because if you weren't here, I would not be here either. Oh, you're there. You're at your house. You're listening at your house or in your car, wherever it happens to be. It doesn't matter. Or online someplace on your phone. And thanks to Greg. He's producing again today. I'm Mike Miller. I've been producing the Garden Hotline. Producing, heavens no, I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I've written five gardening books. Two are currently available at various locations. And I write articles for the Missouri Gardener magazine. And uh, during the week, I do landscape consulting. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website, www.mikemillerdesigns.com, the homepage. There's my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Today's Good Gardening Stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. Wow, 10-plus feet high sunflowers. At first, I thought there were two different varieties, but as I looked closer once I got out of my car, now there was only one variety. Some of them just happened to have bigger heads than the other. Some of the heads are already turning down, but, uh, you know, They've had probably a great summertime. And uh, others with the disc and ray flowers, do you know that sunflowers, the whole family, have two different kinds of flowers, actually. One is called a disc flower, D-I-S-C. The other one's ray. So uh, you'll have to figure out which is which. Some of them have petals attached to them. Other ones don't. And, uh, boy, it was just really nice. And I was at the corner of Eichelberger and Cologne, and uh, right in the corner there of that intersection, there's one of those little uh, book stand things where it's by littlefreelibrary.org, which is a not-for-profit organization. They start, You can drop off books or you can take books, and uh, there was quite an array of different books there. So it was kind of cool, and I had not seen this particular garden space for 
I, I guess for a while, because I kind of forgot about it, but Tracy and I, because they were doing some uh, paving on Christie Boulevard the other day, we had to kind of go divert around, and I thought, whoa, then I think I'm going to take the good gardening stroll there. Well, this has mulch pathways you can take from here to over there. There's a lattice that buffers the alley from the garden space. The zinnias, there's a lot of zinnias and some purple coneflowers, too. The zinnias, though, were really striking. And I guess because it was so dry so far this summer that, I mean, there was no you know powdery mildew or anything on the foliage of the zinnias. And they were just kind of floating above the above the stems like kind of planets. It looks, you know, they're really, zinnias are one, really one of my favorites. I don't grow them myself, but I enjoy looking at them. My brother Tommy that lives in uh, Pacific, he grows them. He's been growing them from the same seeds he collects for decades now. There's a newly built wooden bench, and this wooden bench is actually made out of a pallet. So somebody knew, you know, figured out how to cut a pallet and make it into a pretty look, good-looking bench. Now, it's a little bit low, but that's okay. There's a couple different varieties of milkweed there. There's some hardy hibiscus whose flowers are already spent. And uh, there's liatris, and uh, they're still trying to show off. Some bee balm, well, the bee balm is finished as well. So they say you should come back next June or July and check me out. There's some bindweed, pink and white-flowered bindweed, sprawling and spreading out all over the place. And there's, uh, whoo, I didn't see these right at first, but I looked down close to the ground, orange flowers, some milkweed, some Asclepius, saying, come on, butterflies, I'm here if you want some food. So tall asters are patiently waiting for their time to be in bloom, and there's the unique box Underneath where the books were, this is a box, just a cardboard box. This was a very unique circumstance I hadn't seen at any of these community gardens before. But somebody had basically put it down there, and they filled it up with different kinds of pasta, some other canned goods, some baby food, and other things. So I guess if someone is really in need, they can come by and pick up either the whole box or just some of the things out of the box. So that was really kind of a unique th- unique thing. Again, this was at the corner of Eichelberger and Cologne. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller, on KMOX. I'll tell you what, folks, the crabgrass has been unbelievable this year. I mean, spurge, yes, but crabgrass, yes, there's been some foxtail. There's been some other things that have been, I mean, purslane. You know, I don't see that much ragweed, you know, to be honest with you. But the crabgrass just has exploded this year. So the weather is just perfect. Now, realize that all those annual weedy grasses, annual warm season weeds, now they're all producing seeds. Now they're dropping seeds. So next year, yes, you can control them now with, you know, a, you know, a post-emergent, so in other words, an actively growing herbicide, something like that. Or you can hand dig them out. I'm on my front lawn, actually. I've got them under control for the most part, so the ones that are left, I'm doing some hand digging for the crabgrass and some of the violets and a few other things. But this is the grass. These are the weeds that are warm season. So next year, when the Forsythia, yellow forsythia, flowering shrub is in bloom. The soil temperature is about 50 to 55. That's when you'd be putting the pre-emergent down to stop this stuff. 
So you can go ahead, blow it all off for as far as, you know, putting grass seed down this fall and everything else because you don't want to put a you know lawn seed down with a pre-emergent. But, you know, next year, if you've had a really major weed problem, regardless of what it is, it doesn't matter if it's foxtail, goosegrass, barnyard grass, carpet weed, black medic, lamb's quarters, knotweed, purslane, ragweed, or crabgrass, and there's some other ones too, and the spurges. So that's next year, early spring. Sally lives in Creve Corps. Sally, how are you today? I'm great, Mike. How are you? Very good. I need a suggestion. I have a spot in my yard close to my home that's in a slightly raised bed. I would like a dense shrub that flowers that will cover an area about six by six, six feet by six feet, with minimal pruning. It it has a west exposure, but it's covered, and it gets sun after 2 o'clock in the afternoon. Um, and this bed is, this area is bordered on each side by holly bushes. And I would like to know what you would recommend to plant there. It it will be centered um, in this bed. Well, probably what I would do, there's a uh, shrub that blooms pretty much all summer long. It is fragrant. And uh, do you have a pencil? Yes. Okay. It's Abelia, A-B-E-L-I-A. And A-B-E-L-I-A. Okay. Right. And the, one of the, the best varieties is Edward, just like Edward, and then Goucher, G-O-U-C-H-E-R. Just go online, take a look at that, and see if that's something that would appeal to you. But if in that situation, that's probably what, as long as you're holly or healthy and everything else, because this is going to contribute, you know, it has different texture, a different habit, and it's probably not maybe going to get quite six feet wide, but it's going to, you know, start filling in, you know, in that point. And what you could do to make sure that you can get the fill that you want is actually to get two of them and kind of juxtapose them to each other. So, in other words, put one a little bit forward than the other one. Then as they grow, it will just look like one big shrub. I see. And is this something that I can plant this time of year? If you if they're available, that's going to be the only thing. So, yes, the... I mean, pretty much anything is available at the garden centers. This is a perfect time of year to start thinking about planting. It may be still a little bit hot. You might wait for a couple more weeks. But you go to the garden center, buy it, have your name put on it, and let them take care of it until you can get out there and, uh, you know, pick it up and then go ahead and install it. And do these come in, like, six-gallon pots? Yeah, or? like five gallons. Usually, I don't think they come in one gallon. Usually they're three or five gallons. Okay. All right. Very good. Thank you so much. Certainly, and good luck with that. That's one of my favorite flowering shrubs. The flowers are trumpet-shaped. There's a lot of flowers on it and extended bloomer, like I said. So now let's go from Creek Corps into the South City area. And, Joe, how are you today? I'm fine, Mike. I got a, a, a big problem. My problem is uh, several years ago, about two, I took and I did some grade work. And uh, I was going to do it the cheap way. I went over to Home Depot and I bought eight sacks of uh, their uh, pot, or not, um, their fill, or it just... Uh, the topsoil? Yeah, topsoil. That's what it was. Anyway, I, I scattered it, raked it and everything, put in a little fescue. Um, First year I didn't notice it. Yesterday, last year I noticed it, 
and this year it's terrible. I I have the most wonderful crop of nutgrass. <laughs> Is there anything in the world that will kill nutgrass? Yeah, I mean, you have to get something specifically for nutgrass, like... Bonite has a product called Sedge, S-E-D-G-E, Sedge Ender, because nut sedge is, you know, nut grass. And it's, you know, it's still going to probably take a couple years to get it under control because that stuff's been dropping seeds, and it has seeds on the tips of the, of the uh, root systems. So it's going to be a long, involved process. What's the name of that again? Sedge, S-E-D-G-E, and then Ender, E-N-D-E-R. And... Uh... Most of the garden centers have the Bonide products. B O N I D E. That's the name of the company. If they don't happen to have that exact company's, you know, sedge ender, there are other nutgrass sedge killers available. Well, I, I went to Ace Hardware, and he says, "Oh, they'll sell me Roundup." Well, I got like. Three and a half gallons of Roundup sitting down in the basement. It doesn't do anything. It just kills the grass. <laughs> well, I will tell you what. It's always better, if you've got a weed problem like you have, to do the applications of any kind of herbicide earlier in the season. And especially a year like this when it's been so hot and dry, the plants actually produce an internal type of wax that it's more or less exudes on top of the blades so the blades don't get sunburnt. So earlier in the season, they don't have that waxy cuticle on the surface of the blades, so the herbicide is you know, absorbed in quicker. Also, before you spray any herbicide, it's always good to if, you know, stomp on the weeds or cut them a little bit with your mower high so you can open up some wounds, and that allows the herbicides to get in quicker. Now, uh, I don't mind killing out uh, the grass uh, if I'll kill the, the nut grass. Right. right. But uh, will this uh, product uh, kill grass too? No, it just—it's specifically for the nut sedge, you know, nut grass, whatever. Thank you, Mike. Great. Bye now. Good luck with that. And now let's go to David in Oakville. Hi, David. David. Hi. Hi, Mike. Yes, Mike. My daughter's got blueberry bushes. They're growing like crazy, and they got a brush hog that tried to chop them out, but the thorns were flying, and it was a big mess. What can she do to get rid of blueberry bushes? Blueberries don't have thorns. Now, is this like the black raspberry? Uh, yeah, they're, I, I think they're blue, blue blueberries. Well, blueberries don't have thorns, so I don't know. You know, you said that, that there's a bunch yeah. of thorns. Yeah, something was flying out of there. <laughs> But can can they put some uh, coal oil on the roots, or what can they do to get rid? Because they're moving along. I think in, a, in another year or two they'll be up close to her house. Well, I'm I'm pretty sure this is probably a black raspberry. To be honest with you, I don't want to say you're wrong, okay. but the blueberries okay. are very very difficult to grow here, so they don't you know migrate. But the okay. black raspberries do, and probably okay. what she needs to do is go you know to her favorite garden center and get a type of Roundup for killing woody plants. It'll say poison ivy killer and woody plant killer on the okay. label, not normal Roundup. This is specifically for woody plants, and go after okay. it that way. If she doesn't want to dig them, yeah, well, no, they they thought about getting a bob, uh, uh, you know, a, a 
a bobcat and scooping them out. But right. I don't think that's going to work either. They're, it's about 40, 40, 50 feet long and then about 10, 12 feet wide. Whoa. And they're, they're moving. Yeah. And they're coming. They're, yeah, they're, they're colonizing. Yeah, they, I mean, oh, yeah. they I mean, they grow on the edge of woods, and I mean, they can really make it virtually impossible. Growing up in Ellisville, there was all kinds of black raspberries all over the place. We loved to eat them as kids, but boy, sometimes it was tough to get through the clumps. Oh, yeah. So oh, yeah. Okay. the roundup for killing woody plants, it will say poison ivy killer and woody plant killer. Okay. Woody plants. Okay, I'll tell her, Mike. Thanks a lot. Certainly. And Megan, you just came in here the garden hotline. <laughs> <laughs> I th- it's not out there in the newsroom. You can't hear it out there. This is so I had to see you to have the full experience uh, <laughs> while I prepare for my PGA championship traffic report. Uh, you want to go ahead and do your traffic? It's got to be at a very specific time. Sorry. Let's go to, let's stay in Oakville to save gas and go into Gary's yard. Hi, Gary. Uh, I'm How you doing? Very good. Uh, you, Listen, I have a couple questions. Um, you need to turn your radio down. I don't have it on. Oh, really? Right. I'm not even... I just have the phone. Okay. Um, uh, I have holly bushes in the front, and I wanted to know, when can I trim them? Uh, just, it depends. You don't want to really... They're broadleaf evergreens, I'm assuming, so you don't want to prune them going into wintertime. That's my own personal thing. Because you prune them and you could have some major damage due to winter kill because we get really cold you know, circumstances. So I would say if you want to have any berries on them, do they have berries now? No. No. So maybe they're all males or maybe they've been pruned so it gets rid of the flowers so you don't have any berries. So if you, want, if you can, you can get them pruned really soon so they can harden off before we get to wintertime. But definitely don't do it very much later than, like, uh, Labor Day. That would be the latest I'd possibly do it. Well, I want to just trim the, some of the, the sprigs that go off. Crazy oh, so you're and, just and, doing selective pruning? Well, we then you could, I mean, you could do it right now. Okay. And then on uh, cone flowers, uh, should you deadhead those? Uh, you don't have to. If you don't... What's they gonna, what they're going to do is drop a lot of seeds on the ground, so then you're going to have a bigger colony of you know the coneflowers than what you have currently. Plus the birds like it. Yes, really, right. Really Very like much so. Now, what, ha- what happens when you lose leaves on your holly and it looks kind of naked? <laughs> well, if it's an evergreen type, that's not a good sign. That means it's probably headed towards death. Okay. Because I got like two or three of them in a certain area, and they are, they all have the same characteristic. Oh, so they're probably for some reason, you know, there's either water sitting around them or the heat of the summer with no water, no moisture, or anything else. That probably sent them downhill. Okay, thanks for what you do. I appreciate it. And uh, I'm in a restaurant. That's why. <laughs> <laughs> oh, so that's what I'm hearing. Uh, we thought it was your. <laughs> <laughs> well, my apologies for saying turn no, your phone right. down. <laughs> okay, take care, Mike. Bye. Certainly. And Megan, you want to go now? Nope. <laughs> it's twenty nine fourteen. I can. <laughs> Mike Miller, KMOS Garden Hotline, back after these messages. Welcome back to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline. Once again, here's Mike Miller on KMOX. Down. (laughs) 
Uh, let's go to Suzanne in St. Louis. Suzanne, how are you? Good. Um, I have a Japanese maple, and it's about five years old. The trunk is about two inches in diameter. Um, the upper half of the tree, um, I guess at its tallest point, it's probably about seven or eight feet tall. Um, the the upper half is dead, Ooh. or maybe the upper. Yeah, there there's about. Anyway, new branches are coming out at the base, right. like the upper or, or the, the bottom two feet of the tree. Uh, if I were to cut off the dead part, could this tree be saved? Would it look funny? <laughs> well, it all depends on what you think looks funny. So well, yeah, basically I know it'll it, look funny. I know it'll look funny, but will it grow into a mature tree? Uh, do you know what variety it is? Um, is it maroon leaf? Is it just is it maroon not, and then turns green? It's not the super. Yes, yes, it's okay. not the super dark maroon. It, but it it does turn red and green. Uh huh. So basically, what it is is the top is dead. Cut all that off for sure because nothing's ever going to come out of that. And right. as you know, it's going to be your call whether you think aesthetically it's going to be problematic or not. So you can let it go for a couple of years, you know, and start selectively taking off some of the branches coming off the lower part of the trunk right. and try to reestablish, uh, let's say, a tree quality to it. Gotcha. Okay. Um, what what kind of fertilizer? Basically, you should, well, I'm going to do a spot in the next break, but uh, something called deep root feeding. And you can have these people from Roots Plus come out and do that, where they're going to auger holes and they're going to fill the holes with compost. They're going to, what that's going to do is feed your soil, then your soil feeds your tree roots. Gotcha. Healthy tree, healthy soil is by far the best way to have healthy plants. Gotcha. Okay, I'll do that. Thank you. Great. Good luck. Bye. Yep. And now let's go to uh, Linda, and Linda's in Oakville. Hi, Linda. Hi, Mike. Good morning. Hi. Uh, we have we have about a 30-plus-year-old pin oak tree in our backyard that's been diagnosed by an arborist with leaf scald. And right now, it, the arborist came out about two years ago. So last year, it started dropping brown leaves in July and this year it's starting just started a couple of days ago and we've been deep watering it a bit you know when we don't get much rain and then also we we did put down some tree spikes last fall again too Uh, will this eventually kill the tree or what we are doing the arborist came out and diagnosed it and also fed it a couple years ago too so um, is what we're doing correct or Will this just eventually kill the tree? There were some good signs this year, like at the end of a branch that we thought was completely dead, green leaves, they're still on there, and they came out later, like not probably in April. They probably came out in late April or, or May. Even. Whoa. So, <laughs> so what do you think of this tree? Well, what you're doing is when you're watering it, where are you... Are you like laying a water or a hose and running at a trickle? Or are you getting one of those type of hoses that just emits water that doesn't spray it up in the air? Or how are you watering it and where? At the at the base of the tree, which is a trickle. Yeah, like at the I trunk. Did it yesterday, yes, that does no yesterday. good. No oh, good doesn't. whatsoever. Basically, well, the feeder. We also, 
we also do water it. We do water it outside of that area too, like oh. in the grass. Okay, because basically the feeder roots, when you look up in the tree, the furthest extension of the branches look straight down from that point. That's where most, the majority of the feeder roots are. That's where most of the water and nutrient absorption occurs. So, well, that's where we put down the the tree spike. Okay, well, that's so, yeah, somewhat helpful, yeah. but fertilizer is not what some... It's kind of like when, if you were sick, you don't necessarily want to eat this, and so the tree's the same way. It sounds like, I mean, leaf scald, I don't know what exactly leaf scald actually is. So it just means the tree well, is not healthy, it's not able to support the mm-hmm. foliage that it has on it, or else it wouldn't be dropping it. Right. When you look at the leaves, they look like not like they're burned, they're not black, but it just looks like, you know, the pigment goes out of the leaf, like, in gradually, you know, but I guess that's what it does in the fall anyway. But, I mean, our backyard, I'm sitting out on the back porch, and right now the backyard is kind of, they're dropping, and there's quite a few leaves out there, yeah. like in fall. So, yeah, it's not a good sign, because usually oaks hold on to the leaves for the fall, too. I mean... Mm-hmm. So this is not a good sign. The tree's not able to support the leaves. Even if it does set the buds and pushes the growth out, then all of a sudden it goes, I'm not having enough nutrients, enough moisture, or anything else to make it so I can support these. That's why the tree's dropping them. So it sounds like it's sort of on a downhill slide. So how should we water? You're saying water where the farthest branches comes out. What's the best way to do it, like a soaker hose? Exactly. A soaker hose, you know, put a circle all the way around that and run it for probably like a half hour to 45 minutes a couple times a week. Okay. And that may help it a bit. Yeah. And then, the you know, the deep root feeding, too, will help feed the soil. But, uh, boy, this doesn't sound good. Yeah, that's what I was afraid you were going to say. Thanks a lot. <laughs> no, thank you. Well, I, thank you. If you send me a check, I can make you sell. Oh, this tree sounds perfect. It's just morphing into something you. No. Right. It's just a great uh, shade for our backyard and yeah. for our screen porch here, so it's going to be well missed. Well, you don't have so to necessarily take to... it down. Maybe, you know, we'll go through a recovery cycle. Yeah, hopefully. Right. Okay. Thanks. Thank you, and thank for thank you for our show. We love it. Well, thank you. And so now let's Oakville all the way up to Florissen. <laughs> That's a long ride, Barry, or a long walk, or a long run. Barry, how are you today? Fine. How are you? Mike? Very good. I've got two problems. My front yard is sort of small, and I've got two large trees, so I don't get any sun on my uh, front lawn at all, and I have very little grass. What kind of grass can I you know, grow there with no sun. Crabgrass. No, you're never going to get successful lawn. It's impossible. It's not only the shade factor, it's also all the tree roots. The trees are competing with the root system for moisture, for nutrients, and everything else, and no lawn can go through that, whether it's shady spot, it's this, it's that, or anything else. The other option is every September and every May throw out grass seed or throw out grass seed every month, and kind of give yourself a false impression you have a lawn, but you're never going to have a lawn. Okay. All righty. Uh, that solves that problem. Now, in my backyard, I just had a, a new uh, block retaining wall put in. And when they did that, they had to dig back for the drainage in it. And now all I've got is weeds. When, when should I attack it and what should I do? 
Basically, get all the weeds under control and then decide what you're going to plant on top of the retaining wall, if that's what you're asking. So get the weeds under control first, then put some mulch down or put some mulch down, get the you know, weeds under control, put, put mulch, and maybe wait for, you know, be patient and get as many of the weeds under control like even next spring as you possibly can before you do any installation of new plant material. All right. I appreciate it. Thank you very much. Yep. And because if you don't, I mean, all of us just, we're not patient enough with these things. So we rush ahead because we're, you know, anxiety driven or something. And then it always, we end up sliding backwards. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with your host, Mike Miller on KMOX. South on 55, we're going to Bob's yard. He lives in Arnold. Hi, Bob. Hey, Mike. I got a daylilies. Bloom's good. Flowers are pretty. Every day I bring a few more leaves. The green turns yellow. What am I missing? Basically, I mean, they're just going dormant. This early? Yes. Because of the heat and everything else, it's a little bit premature, but this is a time of year where a lot of the daylilies are, I mean, you're still going to get some flowers, but I've seen some of them that have even stopped flowering, and the foliage is going, you know, is sort of headed towards dormancy. Well, as I said, the flowers, are, every day you got the new ones, and I still got a bunch of them that got buds on them, you know, waiting to flower out. They're getting Great. Up in that. And uh, as I say, the every other every day I mean, see yellow they actually turn yellow more worse than the flags do. <laughs> yeah, the iris are really holding up well, but look at the difference in the texture and the thickness of iris, you know, blades, leaves, as opposed to daylily. Iris yeah. are almost like cardboard, they're so thick. So they can handle this weather circumstance much easier. The daylilies are kinda of like almost paper thin. So that's yeah, why they they're going that. downhill. In other words, they're just trying to go dormant on me then. Exactly. They're saying, we're exhausted. This summer has just worn us out. Okay. As I said, I was, if one of them went all bloomed out and they shot up new shoots and everything else, I thought, well, they're, they're doing good, but they still turn leaves yellow on me. Right. So. All right, then, Mike. That's what I was wondering if I was missing something, though, and needed some fertilizer or something. No, definitely don't fertilize this time of year. You'd just be wasting your money. Okie dokie. Thank you very much. Yep. For daylilies, if you want to fertilize, start in the early spring. About uh, once a month, as soon as you start to see the foliage come up, fertilize once a month, and that's about what you need to do. Let's go to Troy, Illinois, into Dave's yard. Hi, Dave. Hey, Mike. Good Hi. morning to you. My question's about a white pine tree, uh, probably two feet in diameter, 35 feet tall, obviously a very mature tree. Yes. I noticed uh, yesterday when I was mowing underneath it, there is basically sawdust, um, little thin straw-looking pieces of wood that are piled up under the tree. As I studied it this morning, I see that that is all on top of the branches as I look up through the tree, and there are little piles of it on top of limbs uh, in the tree. Is this some sort of bore that's working up in that tree? It could be bores, but generally bores don't go after the pines all that much, and if they do go after basically any tree, unless it's like the emerald ash borer, 
It goes to the top of the tree to do its damage. That's how the emerald ash borer got so prolific as far as damage-wise. But for the most part, the bores are going to enter the trees in the bottom three or four feet of the tree. All the way up there, it could be, you know, lots of different things. It could be sap suckers, you know, sort of like, you know, putting holes into the trunk. And then, you know, it could be something along that line. If you're having frass in that many different places, it cannot be bores because this tree would be virtually, I mean, it would start really looking bad. It would go, be, it would look dead or getting close to looking dead. Sure. Well, it's got the typical, as a tree that large, yeah, right. it's got the typical brown, brown pine needles around the, you know, from the lower limbs. Oh, of course. That, that, you know, that, that's normal. I have 50 pine trees, so I'm used to that. But I don't understand what this is up in there, drilling into it. And, and I can actually stand there and look up through the tree this morning and see it falling. It's just like it's like snow falling out of this tree. Wow. Uh, there's whatever. Yeah, it's, it's whatever's working is really active. Yeah, I would I say. And so you're not seeing any birds up there like sapsuckers or something like that. No, sir. No, sir. There's, there's, no, there's no birds or, or anything like that. And as I said, it, it appears as though from the ground um, they're working on top of the horizontal limbs as right. they come off. Because the, the, the sawdust-looking material, and it's in little thin, thin straws, the material is, oh, probably an eighth of an inch long. It's not like sawdust off of a chainsaw. Right. But it's brown. So, and, and they're piled up in little piles um, on top of the limbs, and then they, whatever's working is working to the into the top of the limb. So this is not like expansion of the branches, you know, with, so it's sloughing off bark or something like that. No, sir. No, sir. This is active from something actively going out. It's real fresh looking. It's, it's the, you called it frass, whatever. It's, yeah, that's a good term for it, frass. Yeah, Yeah, frass, F-R-A-S-S. But basically what you should do is go to your county extension service, have them see if they've had other people report something like this and see what they're finding out what it is, because I can't even guess. I mean, cicadas and other things like that that could be causing damage, it wouldn't be to the extent of what you're speaking of. Yeah, it's piled up under the tree. It's on top of the limbs, sometimes a half an inch deep. Wow. Where they meet the trunk at, you know, in the the V where the trunk is. Right. You know, the limbs, each limb, yeah, I can grab it and pick it up with my fingers and, you know, just a lot of it. That's very strange. Yeah. It is. So. I'll do that. Thanks for your thanks for your advice. Sure. Yeah, I wish I could give you an answer, but I've never even heard of anything like that before. Mary lives in Kirkwood. Mary, how are you? Hi, hi, Mike. How are you tonight? Very good. Mike, I've got a bamburnum uh, a that is between my house and the house next door to us, and the houses are pretty close. It's a mature uh, plant. It's about 30 years old. It's about 12 feet high, and it's about 40 feet long. Well, recently, well, over the last three years, parts are beginning to wilt, and then they die, and it happens in the spring as well as it's doing it right now. Um, and then when you cut it off, when you cut this bad, this, this dead part off, it's very smelly when cut, cut. It smells like it's rotten. Have you heard anything? About, have you, you, you did a garden stroll at our house years ago, and you remarked how attractive this hedge is. Is it just getting old, or what, does the, what do you think it needs? Probably it's, you know, it's just old as much as anything. It's kind of like a couch that you have that suddenly it starts getting a slit in the seat, <laughs> and, you know, this is just kind of the downhill slide. 
for the oh the dear fl- okay so there's definitely a, a timeline for these plants they don't live forever huh right exactly there's very few things that live forever maybe sequoia trees and things like that in uh-huh. california but i mean there's some you know older oak trees but you know shrubs in a, an environment like you're speaking of in between houses and things along that line that's a tough spot and if you've had it as long as you have you should be grateful for it but it doesn't sound like you could do anything at all that's going to make that much difference Okay, thanks, Mike, so much, and thanks for your advice when you did the garden garden stroll. We used many of your your suggestions, and it looks beautiful now. Oh, great! Thanks. Okay, thanks now. Well, thanks, Mary, and now let's see if we can get one more call in. Mick from Glen Carbon, Illinois. Mick, how are you? Hey, Mike. Uh, a neighbor of mine just dropped off a bunch of uh, cone flowers for me. These are the orange variety. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're pretty much bare root. Uh, I've got them soaking in some water. They've still got the heads, the tops, the seeds, all that still intact. What what uh, what should I do with these? I I really want to get them going. I don't know if it's is this the right time to just put them in the ground. And I would get happens? them in the ground ASAP. You know, okay. if you have an area already with soil prepared and everything else in the full sun. Yep. Get them in the ground, and you know, for the first two weeks or so, go out there and water them every almost every day, so you can get that root system established. I'm not saying you have to do it every day. Every day it doesn't rain because if you don't, they're going to start dehydrating. But you know, the nice thing is maybe even if they do dehydrate, and the mother plant that you're sticking in the ground right now doesn't survive. Those heads are going to have all kinds of, you know, seeds on them. Those seeds are going to drop, and they should be able to germinate, you know, next year. Oh, my purple ones are almost out of control. So go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah, uh, they're great to have around. Right. But I really want this variety because, like you said, it's the orange one. Right. Okay. I'll go ahead and put them in the ground today. Yeah, I was, you know, certain things I always recommend putting them in pots, growing them in pots. But with these, I think they're tough enough. As long as they have an adequate root system that, you know, get the soil prepared and get them in the ground. Don't plant them too low because they may, you know, settle a little bit. You don't want moisture around any kind of sunflower group at all. So no wet soil, no circumstance like that. Okay, very good. Great. I'll go do that now. Thank you, sir. I appreciate C- your help. Certainly. And that, I, sorry, Scott from Florissant, I don't think we're going to be able to get to you. But uh, if anybody else has any questions or you're looking out your windows or something like that, and all of a sudden you go, what was that? You know, we have that same stuff that gentleman was talking about on those white pines or whatever it is. You can give a call at 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. I don't know how much rainfall you're getting in your own area, but I think we're pretty much back almost, you know, to let's say the amount of rainfall for the full year. But we had that drought circumstance and it had a bad impact on a couple different plants that, I've, you know, had great luck with for a long, long time. So, you know, mainly annuals, but still, it's just kind of depressing when the weather causes anybody any kind of grief like that. So if you do have questions or concerns, we're going to be back after the news. So Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline. See you in a few minutes. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, You call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. 
Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.